The Money Show. The Money Show. With Bruce Whitfield on 567 Cape Talk, your number one news and talk station. Jacques pointing out to the fascinating accent of Ian Kirk, the chief executive of Santa. Ian Kirk's an interesting guy. He and my colleague John Robbie know each other from Ireland. Um, they go back a long way. Um, Ian Kirk has been in South Africa for a long time. He arrived in South Africa with a chartered accountant's qualification, if memory serves, um, and then worked his way up through the corporate uh, structures of South Africa after qualifying as a CA here as well, as did his brother Grattan Kirk, who um, was at JD Group for a while and has now moved. Where have you gone, Grattan? Send me an SMS and remind me. Uh, Grattan Kirk has changed jobs uh, more recently than that. But it is uh, these guys have come to South Africa and they've done very, very well. Um, Both the the brothers, chartered accountants, going to the pinnacle of their particular profession. So that is where the accent comes from, Jacques. Ian Kirk is originally Irish. Then Jacques going to be interested in my next guest accent as well because it's got a little bit of Manchester in it as well. But his name is Martin Davies, Dr. Martin Davies, the chief executive of Frontier Advisory. And just talking to Ian Kirk a moment ago about the higher risks of flying globally. You're a guy who generates plenty of air miles. <laughs> Time magazine talking about the, the higher risk of, of travel around uh, around the world. And in particular, when people see the, suc- the success, and I use inverted commas there, um, of Ukrainian separate in shooting down MH17, suddenly the copycats, and people are terrified of copycats. It's bound to push up global insurance rates and should also make some of us a little bit more hesitant about where and when we fly. Mm, you're very certain, yeah. I, you're right, I get around quite a bit. And uh, my wife, well, I say I should have a nice stay-at-home job like an airplane pilot, you know. <laughs> but um, you're right. I mean, I was looking at following this, this tragedy last week of Malaysian Airlines. I was looking at uh, where... U.S. Um, airlines are not allowed to fly, and flying over DRC is one. Libya is another. So they're not allowed to fly not over Libya? To, because in the same way as the Federal Aviation Authority in the United States for 24 hours this time yesterday banned all U.S. airlines from flying to Ben-Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv for fear of rocket attacks, they're not allowed to fly over the DRC and Libya. Yes, and I think increasingly in certain countries in West Africa, Nigeria and perhaps one, and, and certainly East Africa, Kenya, I mean, it doesn't take much to have a sort of a um, you know, surface-to-air missile fired from a, some sort of um, shoulder. An, an old-fashioned RPG exactly, rocket. Exactly, yeah. at the end of a runway. It doesn't take much, but uh, this is the sort of thing which is, which is almost impossible to control. And um, it's heaven forbid it ever happens. Absolutely right. But I brought you in for different reasons. This evening, far more optimistic mm. reasons yes. because I'm getting fed up with um, us being all bearish on the long-term future of South Africa. I was talking to Norbert Sasser earlier this evening, chief executive of Growth Point Properties, and making the point to him that property investors are probably the biggest optimists in the world because mm. they put bricks and mortar in the ground today and only really reap the rewards over a 20-year period. I want five reasons from you this evening as to why now is as good a time as any to be investing in South Africa. Bruce, it took me um, a few seconds to think of this and, and one or two tongue-in-cheek but one or two serious ones as well. And firstly, and, and I think we spoke about this briefly recently, is um, is arguably the greatest asset of a South African economy is our banking financial services sector. We're not so much world-class as we are world-leading in many indicators. Uh, the World Economic Forum certainly certainly recognizes as such. So across the continent and pretty much anywhere beyond, I mean, we have this fantastic professional services, particularly banking financial services cluster, if you will, surrounding us here in Santon. 
Um, and no other country, no other competitor country on this continent or any other emerging market, to, to, be, to be frank, even the BRICS, why, why is have the, such, uh, such, such capital depth we have. But why is that important? Explain that to us because it, it's about the ability to raise money. If you want to go and build a railway line, if you want to go and build a port, South Africa is a place where you can go to the market um, and raise money. You can go and say to guys, exactly. I'm prepared to pay you 10% or 11% or 12%, whatever it might take, in order for you to lend me the billions of dollars I need in order to go and do this project. Do you it's, want my project? Take, give me the money. Exactly. There was an article out in, I think it was Wall Street Journal this week, is, uh, is the World Bank still relevant? Whilst at the same time we're forming a BRICS bank, a developmental bank. Yeah. But you know, an arguable point is, do we need development finance when we have such a deep capital market and banking sector as we do? I think that's, that's certainly something which... Um, we have this, which needs to be recognized, I think, beyond that as well. Uh, the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, uh, again, World Economic Forum recognized, the leading, most best-governed stock exchange in the world, uh, ranked number one by the forum. Yeah. So, so clear, and this is, a, as I said, again, not world, so much world-leading, but a world-class, but world-leading institution from the African continent. And it's all around us here in Santon. And also, I mean, we, we tend to play down the fact that we've got pretty good roads and pretty good infrastructure, especially in metropolitan areas. Yes, we'll have a go at the city of Johannesburg when we lose a sump from time to time in a <clears> pothole. <throat> but generally, we're well connected. Mm. It brings us to point number two. I think people, talent will, will ultimately move to places that are livable, that are, uh, that are you know, livability, connectivity. And uh, Tambo, if you've been to an airport such as Charles de Gaulle or, I joke, Heathrow, death row, I call it sometimes. JFK, what a dump. It's a disaster. I was yeah. there a few months ago and it's an absolute, it's diabolical, the infrastructure you go to through, traveling through airports in, in, in the U.S. particularly. Dallas is not too bad, but most of the others are are, are, are far below standard. So Awatambo, RT is world-class. Um, we have the Khao train. We have the airline connectivity coming into Johannesburg. And again, no other city, uh, no, every region needs a hub. We're undoubtedly that hub for Southern Africa. Arguably, I'd say Kenya's not, Nairobi is a hub because there's not much you know, competition in its own region. Mm. But again, uh, Joma Kanyate Airport, Kenya Airways is pretty good, but the airport's pretty bad. Uh, West Africa doesn't even have a hub, despite having maybe nudging half a billion people. So um, that connectivity, that transportation linkage here in Johannesburg is reason number two. Uh, and then you want to use a Scrabble analogy. And I've been playing a lot of Scrabble on my phone recently uh, against the phone, and I've even beaten it once or twice. What's your Scrabble <laughs> analogy? You know, it's development economics is like Scrabble. Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, people who win at Scrabble are those who have uh, lots of letters uh, lots of letters with lots of score can create a high score. For you get the X, of the J, and the Z. Yeah, and I often, you know, say tongue in cheek, but it's true. I mean, Bruce, we're we're all, you know, educated, highly qualified, professional people, competitive people here in Johannesburg. You put us on a survivor-style desert island, and our lifestyle will not change in twenty, forty, sixty years, maybe three generations, despite the fact we have the same knowledge, abilities, capability. But you put us in around more letters, i.e., more people, more talent institutions, companies, uh, tools that are disposable, we can create this value. So economics development is like Scrabble, creating all the letters, putting these letters together. The letters could be all of the above. Institutions, mm. as mentioned, it could be brands, it's companies, it's individuals, it's, 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 all, it's all of these things. And Santon has the letters. New York has the letters. Uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, London, Paris have all these clusters of letters. Uh, unfortunately, Kimberley does not have many letters. No. 
the DRC largely, Central Africa, will not have many letters. No. Therefore, there's not much they can do. There's not much value they can create without this clustering effect of letters uh, collectively creating value. And, and also, we, we are just the economic powerhouse of the southern part of Africa, we're not. We are, and this is, this is exactly it. Every region needs a United States. Every region needs a hegemon, a driver of growth. Um, you know, China for Asia, uh, obviously, um, sort of Germany for Western Europe these days with sort of US, uh, UK and France, North America, it's United States and Africa, it's South Africa. Well, you know, arguably, yes, we are a bit of a momentum economy these days. We should be the, the Germany of Africa and maybe we're looking a little bit more like the Japan of Africa. We're just, we're just not getting the bloom and growth coming through. Yeah, yeah. we're, we're f- momentum, flatline growth, but a fantastic set of companies, world-class leading companies we have clustered here. Uh, in a, an economy that's momentum. Uh, it sounds a bit like Japan. We need to get both aligned. There was lots of renting of sackcloth and, and, and covering ourselves with ashes a couple of months ago when Nigeria's economy was revealed. Shock horror to be bigger than ours. You don't give a damn, do you? I don't. Nigeria rebases GDP. We're about 20% odd uh, small, smaller in terms of size of GDP. And this is the fifth reason. Why is South Africa great to invest in? Because we're not Nigeria. We're not a dysfunctional institution. Uh, we, we don't have a... Um, you know, a, a system. I was up in, in, in Lagos not too long ago, and uh, to my shock and horror, it turns out 132 signatures are required to get a, or stamps are required to get a container through the port of Lagos. So this is an intractable problem. And I think also from a uh, from Nigeria's perspective, nudging like 89, 90% of, of, of revenue of government comes from a single resource. It's called oil, it's called mm. triple digit oil. So, how sustainable is this model after all? There are, there are people coming through on the on the SMS line this evening who are criticizing you and saying, okay, this is all highfalutin stuff. I mean, the the reality of life in South Africa is you've got the EFF storming the Gauteng legislature, you've got the police uh, beating people up and wanting to shoot each other um, and, and do all of this kind of stuff. We've got people unemployed. There are some day-to-day realities, mm, of course, mm. of, of the investability of South Africa, which are hard to ignore. Very true. Uh, of course. I mean, this is not by no means it's an attempt to sort of gloss over the challenges we have in our country. I'm just trying to look at some of the positives we sure. often ignore. I think uh, the challenges in our country, particularly many others, and, and again, why is it Nigerians are so optimistic despite their enormous challenges and we're also pessimistic perhaps. But I think in the emerging market like ourselves, um, we increasingly, not to dissemble in countries like India and in China and Russia, especially these days, one must in Brazil certainly, especially in Argentina, I, think I can go on and on, um, or other emerging market economies like Greece, um, where you have to look at your country through a commercial lens that's perhaps increasingly apolitical. We have to almost uh, fait accompli that the politics, unfortunately, uh, is not ideal. It may let the economy down. It will not result in uh, the necessary support to business and the economy should be providing but let's get on with it anyway. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what Mr. Modi does in India and whether or not that rubs off on what's going to be happening uh, in our country. Uh, look, uh, I think the first budget was somewhat disappointing. Uh, I think the, the, the problems of India, it's, 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 uh, it was the first election, arguably, t- it took place that um, the electorate 
actually voted on an economic wicket rather than a, a misguided political ideological one. It, it felt a little bit like Barack Obama and yes, we can. India felt like it was having its yes, we can moment. Well, the US maybe infrastructure side can, can often sort of turn on a dime, as the Americans can say. Uh, but the Indians, I'm afraid, uh, 50 years of socialism, import substitution, it, it's, it's permeated by ideology, the system. Mm. Um, and, we run that risk, yeah, surely, as well. I think we do. Uh, maybe we're increasing we're a small India. But um, I think we have to – it's a cultural shift that Modi has to, has to sort of drive through in India as much as it is as a, a policy shift as well. Always fascinating. Dr. Martin Davies, the chief executive of Frontier Advisory this evening. Five reasons why now is as good a time as any to be investing in South Africa.